the show is here. Yo, our mission is clear. It's time to change healthcare. Have no fear. Today is the day. This is the hour. Together, you know we've got the power. Drop the silos. We're all the same team. Patients, docs, nurses, tech, and marketing. How can anyone be satisfied with the way things have always been? Yeah, we've tried. So join us now. Join the revolution. Digital health is the evolution. Status quo, more like status, no. Yeah, this is the healthcare rap. Y'all, come on, let's go. Welcome to the healthcare rap, where we are ushering in the future of healthcare and the status quo no longer exists where we are challenging assumptions about marketing and technology, and we check yesterday's thinking at the door. Where truth drops like an atom bomb, and knowledge flows like Niagara Falls. Each week we challenge assumptions that have been holding back healthcare marketing, and explain how we can do better. Join us. This is the Healthcare Wrap. What's up, what's up? Jared here. Hope you're staying safe and doing well. Hope you're ready to learn something, do something, and be a part of something. Because on this program, we are done with the status quo in healthcare. Hospitals, health systems, and practices are finally starting to make healthcare about consumers and innovation. We call it marketing forward. If you want to be a part of it, then this is the place for you. We're going to help you find your place in this new movement, and you are going to be one of the ones shifting the way that healthcare is marketed and experienced. I can't wait for you to be part of this movement. Before I get too far, I don't want to forget to mention our brand new content network called Shift.Health. It's a podcast network and a video network. So if you like the healthcare rap, I really think you'll like the other series that we have there. So go check it out at Shift.Health. Go check out the other podcasts and video series we have there, all about how to shift the way that healthcare is marketed and experienced. In fact, one of those series is called Accelerating Recovery with Data. It's a series presented by Symphony RM about how to become a data enthusiast and drive the data discussion in the midst of disruption. So here's what's going to go down today. We wanted to pause our usual programming about marketing and technology. Today, we're going to have a constructive conversation about what's going on in the world today and where healthcare fits in. Peter's in the house with me, and we're going to tag team an interview with Dr. Wayne Franklin, where we talk about health disparities, society, and race. We address how to challenge the status quo of unequal access to care, as well as Dr. Franklin's experience in his own medical training and the significance of the White Coats for Black Lives movement on social media. I learned so much from this conversation, and I can't wait to share it with you. Are you ready? Let's go. Hey there, listeners. If you're all about listening to your website visitors to learn more about how to improve your website experience, then G-Site is for you. G-Site is a suite of digital improvement tools that capture the voice of the digital customer. Hi, I'm Rob Klein, co-founder of G-Site and founder and CEO of Klein & Partners, a market research and brand consulting firm dedicated to helping hospitals and health systems find their brand voice. I co-developed this service offering with the team at Greystone.net several years ago. G-Site helps you prioritize and focus your website improvement and enhancement efforts. It's a suite of solutions, including a pop-up website experience survey tool, a user-friendly dashboard and reporting tool, a user behavior tracking tool, expert consulting services, and more. What if I told you that 8% of your visitors have a new negative opinion of your brand after visiting your website? Now multiply that number by the total number of annual visitors. Does that number scare you? If so, go to www.graystone.net forward slash gsite to learn more about how we can help and sign up for an introductory overview. Hope to speak with you soon. 
He's also the director of the Adult Congenital Heart Program and the chair of adult medicine at Phoenix Children's Hospital. We want to welcome Dr. Franklin with us today. How are you? I'm good, Jared. Thanks for having me. You know, when we were just talking, uh, Peter and I have started, we started this podcast more than a couple of years ago and it's still kind of baffling, you know, that, that it's not only going, but that it's growing. And, and part of it is inviting guests like yourself who we get to talk to and really keep it real. We used to have a segment called keeping it real. Yeah, <laughs> and we've, you know, that's just kind of how we've done things all along, but, but we're just glad to have a few minutes with you today because uh, the world is getting very real and uh, we would just love to hear some of your experiences with things. Yeah, well, I, uh, I'm a new convert to the Healthcare Rap podcast, man, but I'm a believer. I listened to my first uh, episode a couple days ago, and I'm hooked, man. It's, it's cool. So, uh, so kudos to you guys. This, this is a good thing you got going here. I like it. Thank you. Thank you. I want to just jump in and start asking, firing questions off to Dr. Franklin, because it's, it's often, not often that we get really great doctors on here, and I think it's a really great opportunity for us to start asking them some questions. And I want to just really quickly start off by saying, the world that we're in right now, you and I actually have had these conversations, Dr. Franklin, outside of this podcast. Crazy place that we're in right now. The big movement right now is white coats for black lives. It's healthcare's way of kind of jumping in to what's going on in the world. You have a unique perspective. You're African-American. Let's start right there. I'm just going to put it right out there. What are you thinking of, the, of that's going on right now with this movement? And what does it mean to you as an African-American doctor, but also in the world that you're living right now with all your patients and your, even your colleagues? How does that make you feel at where you're at right now? As they say, that's a lot to unpack there, <laughs> Peter, in, <laughs> in, a, in a salient kind of uh, <laughs> response. But you know, I guess, first of all, you know, I think I'm actually pleased that it's caught the nation's attention. Certainly, you know, what happened, and and I'm not going to try to talk too much politics, but what happened to George Floyd has caught everybody's attention. But I think that speaks to a greater issue with what happened during COVID. And we're still quite in the middle of COVID-19, right? And I think what happened was COVID-19, everybody was pent up and everybody was inside. And then they see this horrific event on video, you know, and, and social media, and just people were mad. People were mad. And wanted everybody wanted to get outside and protest it. They hadn't been out in two months, and uh, and there you go. It just took off. So I think it does speak to a bigger issue, though, when we just talk about the health disparities in this country. And hopefully, we'll get into this on this podcast. Uh, that's why I'm here, I imagine. But you know, these are long-standing problems. I, I heard a good quote the other day. I'm going to try to not mess it up, but basically, without a healthy country, you can't have a healthy economy, mm. essentially. And you have to have good public health all the way down from people driving the bus, all the way up to the political leaders in our country. They have to be healthy in order to do a good job. And if you don't have that, that's a fundamental problem. And so I think we're seeing it play out in real time every day now. And so it's been a real problem. And, and I'll just tell you right now, we've heard this term a lot that you know minorities and, and blacks in particular are disproportionately affected by COVID. And there's many reasons for that. We know part of it is because they have less access to health care. They may have jobs that are sort of essential worker jobs. They're bus drivers, they're nurses, they're maybe health, maintenance facilities people. So things like that, you know, add up. And so they don't have the, um, we don't have the, I guess, sometimes the types of jobs that allow us to work from home. I heard a good quote, or actually it was a tweet the other day, you and Jared, I would imagine would appreciate this, is that, you know, rich people, they just quarantine differently, right? They just 
you know, David Geffen, I think everybody saw that he was quarantining on his yacht in the middle of some lake somewhere. That's pretty tough, right? It's a tough life to be David Geffen. Yeah. Madonna was quarantining in her like really fancy bathtub with rose petals on the water. You know, really tough to quarantine that way. So what I mean by that is that, you know, again, it's a socioeconomic problem, certainly social that is racial, but it's also an economic problem. And I think that's how it, how it also has played out. Yeah. What are your thoughts on um, the white coats for black lives? I mean, how, what did you feel like? Was that a great response within the healthcare industry to the, to the issue? You know, it was a great response. It got a lot of traction and got a lot of pictures. And I think the pictures were very strong and were very powerful. But I would say that this is, unfortunately, this is nothing new in a sense that, you know, we've, I've been a physician for a long time and I've clearly seen health disparities remain to be a problem. But, you know, I'm glad that it's caught attention of people now. And if we can use social media and we can use the current state to draw attention to it and get some more traction with it, I think that's really, that's great and that's important. So I think these things move in waves. And Martin Luther King used to say that, you know, progress comes in arcs and waves and not in straight lines. Yeah. And, you know, and it, it's tough and things don't happen quickly, right? Progress is never made quickly, especially for things like this. But we have to continue to work towards that because that's the only way we're going to fix this really multifactorial problem. Yeah. And you turned me on to actually a, a book that I actually ordered already. So I'm hoping I can read it from Dr. Uh, uh, Damon Tweedy. Yes, um, yes. So Black Man in a White Coat. I would love to, I'm really excited to read this. I'm surprised he's not making the rounds right now based on that. Uh, it was, I think it was a New York bestseller. I yeah, well, he, it's, it's actually been out a couple of years. I think he is making the rounds. Oh, he's, is he? he's okay, busy. He's on, he's on like um, Good Morning America and of course the Today Show. I'm an NBC guy, got to plug the NBC shows. I wonder. <laughs> things, things like that. So yeah, it's great. I mean, I just remember, I actually, we were residents together at, uh, at, actually, sorry, I'm older than him. So I was a resident at Duke and he was a <laughs> medical student at Duke back, I'm not going to say when, but several years ago. <laughs> so I, we did cross paths and he's a great guy and he did email me back recently and we were sort of talking about his book and everything. So again, I think that's an important step, but I think this all is, is speaking to a bigger, bigger problem. Yeah, one of the things I wanted to just throw out there really quick is you and Jared have actually some kindred spirits in being Houston Astros fans. I just forgot about that. And I had to throw that out there because uh, I'm going to give you a little guff now. From yeah, both of you. <laughs> yeah, Astros, it's tough. They, uh, I'm going to leave that alone. All I know is that they uh, have a World Series championship from 17. Oh, 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 <laughs> That's all I'll say. <laughs> oh, man. I'm not going to get into, you know, baseball and cheating and all that. But Yeah, uh, no. Now, I we, will say this, though, for the record, the sports fans who listen, is that I, I fully believe in stealing signals, but you got to do it the old-fashioned way right. and just do it with your eyes and your base runners instead of all this technology. But that's just me. Okay, yeah, so. no, I like it. I like. I think I, I was reminded because you have a bat on the wall behind that's you, right, so I saw I that. Yeah. <laughs> Jared, do you want to jump in? Do you have anything you wanted to quickly add here? It's really important, like what you're just saying, Dr. Franklin, to distinguish the fact of a, a photo op or a hashtag that goes around social media for a day or two versus real legitimate change and progress that may be hard to see from one day to the next or one week or even one year to the next. But it's important to take stock of that progress as it does happen. And it, it seems like, a, a, I mean, I, I've been listening as much as I can. I, I really have been. I've been digesting as much as I can lately. And it, I, I definitely see this theme of, hey, it's not enough just to say something or to post right. something. Like, we got to act 
And we've all got to understand like what kinds of actions need to be taken to show some progress and to change the trajectory of what's happening in our society. And I'm curious if, from your perspective, like what actions are the most meaningful from those in leadership, from those who have the ability to give opportunities to people? What kinds of actions are the most meaningful in medicine and in healthcare today to, to kind of address some of these disparities that we've historically seen? I'll take two approaches to that. One is I'll take the clinical approach. And I think the first approach would be if we look at some of the problems that African-Americans are at a higher risk for and that, that are disproportionately affected, right? So diabetes, hypertension, and there are many studies that show that black women die and have more complications for pregnancies than white women, right? Which is a real issue. So if you look at those two or three topics, I think we can make an impact there. But part of it is going to be education, right? Part of it is trying to educate the community about the impact of diabetes and obesity and hypertension, but also trying to impact the doctors to look at those things, right? Meaning, okay, well, if, if I'm in an area that's, that has a lot of African-American patients, I really need to make sure that my message is being heard and that they're following my recommendations in order and things like that. I think education, well, so the other aspect I'll take is the education meaning the medical education part, right? So you can imagine there's a big push for many years to have doctors come out of the community that they represent and return to that community and or at least take care of that community and, and have a seat at the table, so to speak. For example, you know, we need more African-American doctors. We need more Native American doctors, right? We need more Latino doctors. We're having a lot of um, growth in that area of the population now, too. So we are trying to address all those. Again, this is going to be decades in, a long, in the long game, so to speak, but that's one way to do it. And the other important thing is to make sure that these doctors and folks are at the table. So they, I mean, I was on the admissions committee at both Duke, where I trained, but then also at Baylor, the medical school of Baylor College of Medicine in Houston. And I was on that not to say I was only going to select certain types of people, but I was on that because I wanted to make sure that everybody had a fair shake in it, for example. And so I think that helps having, you know, people of color, multi-diversity, if you will, at the leadership positions in the medical institutions from hospital administration to medical education. I think that's really, really going to help. Yeah, what was that like on on those admissions committees? I mean, you know, do you, like what would that conversation look like? Would people assume that, hey, you know, here, here's Dr. Franklin, you know, he, he's going to select, you know, he's going to naturally be, if we can dive into this for sure. a second. Yeah, I like to use a quote from, uh, I think it was Jesse Jackson in 1984. I think he was running for president. He didn't get the nomination, of course, but I think a quote was, um, don't vote for me just because I'm black, but definitely don't vote against me because I'm black. I want people to earn it. I want to earn my stripes. I want to earn my patient's trust and my employee's trust, employer's trust. And also, I think that, that so on the admissions committee, I wasn't just going to say, oh, well, let's just let the black uh, applicants in or the minority applicants. In. They, they need to earn it. They really need to be good. But I also wanted to show them, hey, we support diversity. I'm here. I'm a physician of color. And we will certainly try to make you feel comfortable and included if you come to this school, right? Or if you come to this program for residency, things like that. You know, but it's hard. I mean, if you look around, especially African-American men, First of all, there's more black women in medical school than men, right? Because we've, hmm. we've seen the numbers, right? A large proportion of black men are in prison, 
not in medical school. So that's a real problem, right? To say the least. And so, and then if you look at the black men who do go into medicine and medical school, a lot of them are not actually going into primary care, which is part of the problem, right? That we need to treat diabetes and hypertension. So they're, they're not going into specialty care. They're, they're, no, they, they are, are going, going into specialty yeah, care. Yeah, so they're going into orthopedic surgery, neurosurgery, like me, cardiology. And I'm not saying we shouldn't go into it. I'm just saying that, and, and it's, again, we don't have to break all of that down, but part of the issue is that generally that subspecialists make more money, right, for some of those things. And so maybe they have higher bills to pay or they, they want to make more money. I always say, don't go into medicine to make money. You should have gone, you should have gone to dentistry or law school or something. But right. uh, but in any event, so those are just some of my initial experiences, you know. In the kind of the current world, I wanted to, you know, we, we're seeing this, uh, depending on when this podcast goes live, Jared, we're seeing this uh, new surge here in Arizona coming up with COVID. And it's kind of a crazy world right now. People are very, they're very leery of everything. And I think, you know, we're all feeling that right now. I use that as an overlay because, you know, coming from Houston to here, did you notice any ways that people might have treated you differently as patients or, or staff or anything from there to here? And did you notice it being any different in a time of crisis like this now? And as it surge comes back here in COVID, is it starting again to feel weird at all with your patients and, and even maybe new, new possible patients or families? Well, so first of all, the move from Houston to Phoenix, I mean, Houston is a very diverse city. It's got a lot of different cultures, a lot of different cuisines, right? Some of the cultures you see in food as well, which is great. And Phoenix is not as diverse. I think we can all agree with that. I I definitely hit the Wikipedia to look at the racial makeup of Arizona (laughs) and Phoenix. And I was... uh, scratching my head a little bit about that one because it's definitely not as diverse. But but it also needs is an area to make an impact, meaning that I still felt that I was qualified for the job. And I still felt, well, you know what? There's people in Phoenix, whether it's, I think it was 3% black or something, and the national average is about 12 to 13% of the whole country. Houston is higher, of course. But I didn't let that dissuade me. Because the bottom line is, guys, wherever I go, I'm a minority, okay? Whether I'm in you know, Houston or New York City or Phoenix or Augusta, Georgia, I'm a minority. That's just part of what I was used to being brought up with and what I'm trying to install or instill in my children. And hopefully things will change, but not anytime soon, right? We're talking about decades and decades, but I don't let that stop me. However, you know, I do have a bit of a standard to, to be held to and I'm trying to also do good things. I mean, my wife will always tell you and she, you know, we can get into this later, but you know, she is in the media and so she's always under the spotlight. I mean, she cares about the way that she dresses when she goes to the airport. She cares about the way that she interacts with her kid, with our kids in public because all people are going to look at that and saying, oh, XYZ doesn't know how to control their kids or mm. Dr. Franklin, he, he jaywalked, right? He jaywalked <laughs> and didn't use the cross. I mean, I have to think about that stuff, guys, because um, like it or not, I'm sort of under the microscope and uh, that's just part of the thing we have to deal with. I thought about that the other day, honestly, you know, in hearing some of these stories about what it means when, if I would get pulled over by a cop as opposed to uh, an African-American being pulled over by a cop. And it just, it's just so crazy to even have to think about that kind of stuff. But you know what, I will, I'm going to give your wife some credit right now because what she had said on the, on the news the other night, when she basically just said right then and there, don't tell people to go back where they came from. And again, knowing who she is, who you are, that was a really bold statement really bold statement. And you know what? I give her a ton of credit on that too. So it was amazing. 
Yeah, I mean, you know what? We're all immigrants here, right? Unless right. you're Native American or like in Australia, Aboriginal, we all traveled here on a boat, mm-hmm. okay? Some of it against our will, some of it willingly. And so now we all have to deal with it. As they say, this is a great American experiment. And I think it's working, but we have a lot of work to do. And I'll tell you this too, I, I don't want to not mention this quote on the podcast because I think it still rings true as I learned this, gosh, I don't even remember. But you know, there's an old saying, at least in sort of black cultures that you know, a black person has to try twice as hard to get half as far. There's a lot of truth to that because even, look, even the higher I go, and I've done reasonably well in my career and tried to you know, live a, a motivational life and set a good example, but the higher I go, the less and less people of color there are, right? Mm. And uh, that's just the way of the world. But look, if I'm not there, that's one less person of color that's in a leadership position or one last black cardiologist or one less black doctor. You know, so I'm trying to set a good standard, but also help lift other people up and whether it's get them into medical school or provide good health care or just provide, hey, just a, a face that they can see if, if just some black person is in the hospital and they want to know if there's any doctors of color, just hopefully just me being there is, is a good start for them. So, you know, a lot of it is just day-to-day life, but um, I think it's all these facets are important. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, when you talk about healthcare's our responsibility to address some of these disparities, there's a lot of effort that goes into addressing the inequities that happen because of a lack of access, because of unequal payment ability and I've really been trying to think about this lately too, in relation to what our society is going through right now. I do get this feeling that that healthcare is going to recognize. I mean, I'm I'm hopeful, right? Like I always think, hey, best case, worst case. Best case is that there is something that sticks within the healthcare community, both the clinical and non-clinical community here, that we recognize that there are more opportunities to address the disparities that happen, and. I've been looking for kind of like what those first steps are. You know, I feel like awareness is, you know, awareness helps. And and I'm with you in terms of if that's all it is, then it doesn't do a whole lot of good ultimately. But this feels like the opportunity that we all have right now in our hands to, to do something more than just be aware that there are disparities, that there are things we can do. And I'm curious if, if there's, a starting point, you know, like what, what kinds of things you were just mentioning, like, like is if it's helping somebody have an opportunity to get into their training, you know, on a better foot, you have opportunities in your position. Peter and I have different opportunities, you know, we're, we're in different positions. And yet it feels like there are more actions that we all can take right now to address the health disparities in our country. And I'm just, I'm curious, you know, just kind of what, what those first steps have, have been or, or could be in, in your mind, Dr. Franklin. Well, I think a lot of it will have to come with primary care and sort of the, the public health umbrella. I have a good friend who was the former commissioner of health for the city of New York. And now she's actually got a great promotion, as it were. She is now the commissioner of health for the state of California. It's a pretty wow. big deal given COVID. Yeah, she's right there next to Gavin Newsom making some comments and, and setting the standard. Her name is Sonia Angel. Shout out to Dr. Angel. But she's really, really brilliant. And and what I've done is I've seen her work and I've seen her address a big city like New York to say, okay, well, how did she make an impact, right? So first you have to see what's the, what are the problems in New York? And a lot of it is access to healthcare, it's public health, it's primary care. But one of the things that you have to start with is things that we know work like vaccines, right? We want to make sure that everybody has access to vaccines. We want to make sure that everybody has access to healthy food choices and water, right? Look at Flint, Michigan, right? With the water crisis there, that was terrible, 
this is water for goodness sake. This is a public health problem. People can't even drink the water. But the other thing is also food deserts. You guys have heard of these things called food deserts, right? If you live in certain areas, there are no healthy food options near you. The only options you have is like a McDonald's, right? And then like a check cashing place and no yeah. banks, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, and that's a problem. And that's, again, that's a systemic problem, but you want to at least go into it. But what she did is, and I saw it happen over the years, that she helped put primary care doctors and clinics in those areas where people are going to live. People want to access healthcare in their backyard where it's close, yeah. you know, where it's convenient. Some people don't even have cars, right? Nobody in New York has cars. A lot of people don't. So they take public transportation or they want things that they can walk to. And so I think those are some options that we can do even on a local level, Phoenix, Arizona, US, whatever you want to call it, where we can try to bring the physicians and the healthcare people closer to the patients. I think we have a big opportunity now in the COVID area, the COVID arena, to work with telemedicine. To be really, if access now used to be a problem, well, guess what? You can push a couple buttons on your phone and get a doctor or get a nurse. And I think we need to leverage that to use that to offer. Because a lot of these things is, like you guys said, is education. It's, should I go to the doctor? Should I not? Should I be worried about this big ulcer on my foot that's diabetic or not? You know, things like that, I think, can really, can we have a big opportunity now to, to make an impact. Jared, I know you talked about telemedicine a few months ago or episodes ago on this podcast. I think that's a, a big, big thing that we should really seize and, and continue, especially in the era of COVID. Sure. Peter, any, any kind of final, final thoughts or questions here as, as we, we start to wrap this up? I think the one thing I will say, too, as long as we have Dr. Franklin on, too, just even aside from race, ethnicity, is the fact that, that because we're in COVID right now, you know, there's a lot of people that are, are still very, very afraid. And again, what we're going through in Arizona right now, it seems like it's coming back again. And the problem is, is that we're seeing families not taking care of their, their normal things that they're supposed to be doing with their kids, right? The vaccinations. I mean, they're, even if they have an emergent situation, they're nervous to bring them, bring them into an emergency room. So maybe talk about that a little bit too. This is a whole nother layer on about you know the inequities of, of healthcare, but now it's because of COVID. Any thoughts on that too? Yeah, I mean, a lot of this again is access to care. I think we've made a big effort at Phoenix Children's to, to let people know that we're open for care. We're in your backyard. We're in the community. We have a big telemedicine push now. You can see a doctor or a healthcare provider the same day or the next day, either in person or on your phone or laptop. So I think that's important. And it's really important to continue to follow up with your healthcare provider, especially during COVID. Like don't skip an appointment. Don't skip, leave it up to your doctor whether or not you can skip a test. But I found going back to some sort of old school medicine, you can find a lot out about a patient just talking to them and with video with, with looking at them. You know, one of the first things you learn in medical school, at least as a clinician, is a, you know sick or not sick right? Is that patient sick or not sick? If they're sick, well, that's a come in right away. But if they're not sick, well, you know what? We might be able to wait with this the belly pain or this diarrhea or even this chest pain. I can hopefully be able to tell you if this chest pain is cardiac or non-cardiac with just a few questions, you know? So I think it, it does take some experience for that, for sure. I'm not saying people with chest pain should not come to the hospital. Jared, I don't want to get you in trouble on your <laughs> podcast. But I think if you have any question, then just call your doctor or, or healthcare provider, even after hours, right? Most healthcare institutions and doctor's offices have even an after hour urgent care line and put it in the doctor's hands, but don't uh, avoid coming in because you're scared of, of COVID. We, we, I'll just tell you, we at Phoenix Children's have done 
I think, a very, very good job to make sure that we're offering patients masks. We are screening patients with temperature. We are social distancing. You can check in on your phone now instead of check in in person or online. So these are all things, by the way, that we should continue even after COVID or once COVID settles down, because these are all very smart things that we can do that are going to hopefully lead us to a healthier future. That was my last, my last question is really simple. Telemedicine, is it here to stay now? It has to be. It has to be here to stay. I have a personal interest in this. I've, I really got into, into this uh, several years ago if, uh, when I was in Houston. And I think it's, it's here. To, I know it's here to stay, but we have to continue to use it. And I'll just, the one political thing I'll say is that we have to continue to have the insurers pay for it and reimburse it. Because we all know if it's not going to be reimbursed and the doctors aren't going to be paid for their time, then they're not going to do it. Right. And that's not a political issue, but it is a healthcare kind of economic issue. Yeah. yeah, very good. Thank you. Yeah, Dr. Franklin, we really appreciate the time just to to have a, a genuine conversation, to hear your experiences, to hear from your perspective. And I think there's a lot to learn in here. There's a lot to dig in and, and to, you know, to re-listen. One thing I've loved about this podcast is being able to listen back to previous episodes and kind of have my mind blown again, right? You know, like, oh, like to wow. really think about... Yeah. Yeah, that one, you know, that thing that person said, you know, that's still sticking with me. And it happens all the time. And so no doubt this is gonna be one of those episodes where I'm gonna listen back and, and think, oh my gosh, like there's a lot there. And that's something that's not just like lip service to anything. There are genuine starting points to take some action and, and to see the world a little differently. So we want to thank you for that today and give you a, a last chance here to mention any anything else that you'd like to share with our listeners before we go. Well, thank you guys very much, Jared and Peter. It's been a pleasure. And, um, you know, hopefully uh, you might even have me back. We'll see. But uh, I, again, I think it's just really an important time for us all to really see how we can help the overall country and help the public health and help us get through this pandemic. So so thanks very much again for the opportunity. Thanks so much. I need a dime, I ain't faking a book. So you crank out content, but it's getting stale. It might be nutritious, but it tastes like kale. You're down with finding a way to up your marketing game. Yeah, but when you look for help, everyone seems lame. We're Ultera Digital. Google us and see. We're spelled like ultra with an extra E. We'll help you market forward. Google us and look. We're Ultera Digital. It's off the hook. Hey guys, this is Jared. Ultera Digital is just another name for our consulting team that helps you when your content, your strategy, or your brand is getting stale. You know, like that chocolate glazed donut that was a little piece of heaven in the morning, but when you left it on your desk until 4.13 in the afternoon and you went to finish it off, by then, mm, not so heavenly, was it? By now you know our philosophy that content is the future, but only when it engages audiences and it isn't a snooze fest. And you've heard how we roll. The healthcare rap, what you're listening to right now is Exhibit A. We don't do boring. So if your content, your special event, or your strategy is getting stale, let us help you give it that spark, that rhythm, that new life you're looking for. Ultera Digital, marketing forward. Okay, now back to the podcast, right? Because it's pretty legit. All right, I want to thank Dr. Franklin, and I want to thank you for listening. Don't forget, listen, subscribe, leave a review, and tell your friends. That's how we grow. Healthcare Wrap is a member of the brand new Shift.Health content network. Go check it out at Shift.Health, podcasts and video series about shifting the way healthcare is marketed and experienced. So on behalf of Peter, keep marketing forward. Thanks, and that's a wrap. Thanks.